0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Brands That Podcast. In this week's episode, I'm here with Eric. And today we're going to talk about a topic that Eric gets approached about a lot, which is how can I sell this idea to my team? Basically, someone comes like we, Eric, you've talked with people about this, where they'll come to you and say, hey, we're really interested. Believe in the power of podcasting. We're all, we want to go all in on content and either like, how do we, how do we help our teams think about this or how, you know, about content specifically and the power of content marketing specifically, or, you know, selling a podcast specifically, maybe they already like run a blog or maybe they started a YouTube series and now the team's trying to get buy-in on a podcast or something. So that's where we're coming from in today's, in today's topic. So the only thing to say before we kick it off is that some parts are really applicable for B2B specifically, but I think that if you're B2C, you're going to benefit from this as well. And Eric does this regularly. He's always talking to brands, always talking to other companies. So I'm going to talk about this from sort of like a marketing perspective. And then he'll kind of talk about it from the perspective of how founders are thinking about this and helping your entire team get buy-in. So Eric, if you could kick us off really broadly. So I guess to start the most broad, when someone comes to you and says, I'm all in on this idea, or I, I want to run content, or I want to start a podcast. How do I sell it to my team? 30,000-foot overview. What? How can they begin to think about approaching this?
1: Yeah, I love this topic because it means that the people that we're, we're talking to understand the value, and now we have to help them. We have to help them, arm them with information, examples, philosophies, methodologies on how they can then translate that information to their own team, like you said, so how I usually take this is a few a few steps. One is like the timing. Why is why is the time right now? I think there's a few pieces of information that are helpful to understand that in, in the context of the grander scheme of of where we are in marketing and content right now. And then importantly, we can talk about all, all the reasons why podcasting is so great, but maybe there's times when actually a podcast strategy is not the right time. Mm. There's a lot of cases where that is that is true, and we are totally transparent about that and upfront about that. It's super important. We don't want to position a company to go down a road on on executing a podcast strategy if these factors aren't already in place to capitalize on right. That. And we can talk about that. And then I usually will talk through like specific examples, like attributable data focused ROI metric driven measures that you can see from the impact that podcasting has which is important but to your point the last the last couple of things that we can talk about are the overall fundamental shift in the way people are buying hmm. right now so we believe there's an old way and then there's a new way and there's that transition is happening right before our eyes right now so from the mid 2000s to the early 2010s even you know around 2013 14 15 the way marketing and sales generated demand, closed new business to how that transition is happening right now in 2020 and beyond. We think there's a fundamental shift happening right there. And that can be a little bit more philosophical, but it is the underlying foundation for all of this, in our opinion.
0: So talk about, uh, you said like starting with the beginning, one point is to sort of talk timing. So by that, unpack that a little bit. Do you mean, you know, you're kind of it's similar to catching YouTube before it was so flooded or what is what specifically is in regards to timing
1: so timing you know sometimes we'll get folks who will talk to us and they'll say hey podcasting sounds great but like there's a lot of podcasts out there it seems really competitive and on face value like I can understand how that would seem to be the case but it's actually the reverse so in in relation exactly what you said like in relation to YouTube blogging, um, other sort of content distribution channels that have been been operated just and and gotten momentum way earlier than podcasting did. Podcasting is just getting started. So like, you know, one thing that I mention is there's 30 million plus YouTube channels right now on YouTube of people operating their own channel, whether that be for just, you know, influencers doing vlog style stuff or Brands doing marketing content and sales content and educational awareness content. So, but if you compare that to podcasts, there's only like a little over 1 million podcasts. So if you were to start a show in in marketing on YouTube versus in marketing on podcasts, just from a numbers base, and, and we could look at the specifics of like marketing versus marketing in each of those channels, but sure. there's a huge opportunity to have The top One of the top podcasts in your category versus the competition that might exist in building the top blog in your category or the Mm. top YouTube channel in your category. I still think there's opportunities for all of those, but our assertion is like five, 10 years from now, there's going to be tens of millions of podcasts. And so if you were to start one, just like in 2012, if you started a YouTube channel, you would have way more of a head start than anybody else. So that's one. The second one is so that's just in terms of like the competition, the competitive landscape of can, is there still is there still enough opportunity to start a show in your vertical? The second one is what is what's happening with the listenership? Like are listeners listening to podcasts more and are more listeners starting to listen to podcasts? And both of the answers to those questions are yes. Hmm. So how I relate this a lot is because it can be hard to understand if I just say, okay, there's a hundred million monthly podcast listeners in the United States. This has doubled over the last five years. So five years ago, there was 50 million. Like that's cool and it's a big number, but it can be hard to contextualize that. So how I usually try to do it is contextualize it against radio because most folks know like Basically, everybody listens to, you know, like if you were growing up, like driving around growing up, like for the most part, everybody has listened to the radio. Like everybody understands it. If you're over,
0: it's quickly becoming <laughs> if you're over X age now. But yeah,
1: correct. That, that and, that's, your point. and that's the point that, I, that I'm sort of leading to here, which is as we stand right now, podcast listenership has gone from one twenty fifth. So one twenty fifth the size of radio to one eighth the size of radio over the last five years and what we've been saying for years is that like just like netflix did with traditional cable television like this is what podcasting is doing to radio Mm. we don't think radio is going to die but we just think on-demand audio content is where all of this is going it's going to be the primary consumption method for audio going forward and this so just keeping track of that data point shows it it's like Okay, so you have opportunity in your in your space to create a show because there's less podcasts that exist than other forms of media. And at the same time, millions and millions and millions of more listeners are getting more engaged and finding their favorite podcasts and listening every day, week and month than ever before. So that's a little bit on the timing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's just to I mean, you said this, but just to say it again you know, any brand really could come in to their niche and use creativity, apply creativity and make a really standout YouTube channel. Like we've watched brands do this. Like we have, we have clients of ours or people that we know in the industry that are starting in podcasting, but they also start in YouTube and they make a really great video series and they make something that's really, you know, creative. And so, yeah, there will always be that opportunity. I think the important note that I'm hearing from timing is just like, you get that added benefit. You know, like mm-hmm. if you feel that your audience is hanging out on YouTube, you should still be on YouTube. It's just that like, there's going to kind of just be this like nice added benefit of, of going earlier. As far as, as far then as you were talking about specific, tangible things you can take to your team. So these would be like, before we get into the philosophical, either specific things that you can measure or specific to, you said actually that you would give like real case studies or like examples. Yep. What are some of those? Like if, like if you were talking to a, a brand manager or something and you were giving them examples, what are, what are some of the things you'd cover?
1: Yeah. So there's five things here. There's five things that I typically will point to as like the tangible, you know, ROI driven factors that you can make this decision on whether or not you should use a podcast strategy. The first one is brand awareness. And by that, we just mean, do the people you want to be paying attention to you? Are they paying attention to you? Are they consuming your content somewhere? Are they aware of you? Are they aware of the problem you help solve? Are they aware of your product? And we believe podcasting is a good place to do that. So, and the reason for that is you're getting 20, usually that on average, is like 20, 30, 60 minutes of someone's attention and you're literally in their ears. So if they're your ideal customer, you're getting 30 plus minutes of their attention where they can connect with you and hear your voice versus scrolling past like a social feed for two seconds or like opening your email newsletter and skimming it for three seconds, you know, sort of having that awareness, but it's not the same level of depth. Hmm. So that's number one but it's also this is also not just about the depth it's about the reach and so here's an example it's like if you're going after a certain a, a certain customer persona it's very likely that they are listening to podcasts and so you can do two things one you could create a show that they listen to that becomes one of their favorite shows so your brand you and you are in front of them every single week on your show or you go get interviewed on shows that they're already listening to and so an example is I'm not going to name companies we've worked with by name here, but you know we're, we've, we're working with a B2B software company right now, a client of ours. And over the last year and a half, we've helped their CEO get interviewed on dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of podcasts that their ideal customers are listening to. And we've estimated based on the reach of those shows, more than 1 million people have heard him talk for 30 plus minutes on each of those shows cumulatively. Wow. So that's the value. I mean, you know, and you could see, you could say like, okay, well, let's actually compare that against social media um, or email. A million is, is a big number, but it actually may seem small if you aggregate up like all social sure. reach sure. over that same time period. But again, we go back to what is the depth? Did that person hear the, the tone and humanity and emotional connection as much on those social posts or email as they did by hearing the ceo talk for 30 minutes
0: well and and that was a point your interview with chris walker who's the ceo at refine labs he was making the point like give me you know give me 500 people who engage with me at that level a thousand people that engage with me at that level versus a hundred thousand who just who like one of my posts on social or who you know watch my my 10 second video it's It's the difference of saying, hey, we're going to interrupt you with a YouTube pre-roll ad while your attention was elsewhere versus saying, in this example anyway, hey, there's this show that we like and there's this host that we trust and we're listening to them. And this interesting person came on and shared their story and gave value to me, you know, and... It builds an affinity. I think there really is a unique opportunity to build a, to build affinity with brand through voice that's you can't do with most other mediums. Maybe video. You could make an argument for video, but yeah, this ability to—I mean—and primarily, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's also because these aren't thirty-minute commercials. He's doing like he's exactly. there to give value to the audience. But if they find him an interesting person, if they're interested in the company he comes from, or you know what he built they're going to be able to go over and, and check that out and, and look that up.
1: That and that relates to what we'll talk about in a little bit, which is we believe that's a better way to sell today, to educate, inform, and entertain than to sell. You know, and that's what the that's what podcasting is, is like he's going on those interviews hoping to teach the listeners something from his experience and expertise that they could go improve their lives with or execute their you know in their business better or become a better more well-rounded human being. You know all of these things and a byproduct of that is trust and interest in the thing that he has built in his company and his product. It's it's not a overt salesy sort of thing.
0: Yeah. Now the next one you had actually mentioned this earlier. So you said inbound leads. Now, this is a this can be a bit of a tricky thing that people get into because we've we've heard both sides of this like as you know as we've gone on like and interviewed people. You have CMOs like Dave Gerhardt, you have founders and CEOs uh like Rand Fishkin who are basically coming out and saying like don't look at inbound leads, don't look at, you know, forms filled out or sales as the direct ROI. So I know a lot of the way we've talked about it internally is like these are things you can measure. They're not like the North star of your podcast. How do you articulate this? Like, how do you think about this? And when you talk to like, ultimately, you know, it just, it's like, even if let's say you get a, you know, a brand marketer, VP of marketing or something that's coming to you saying, you know, look, I'm all in, like, I want to entertain. I want to educate. I want to bring value. And I just, trust that like the goodwill generated from that will come back to help us like i'm going to kind of i don't want to say blindly but like i'm going to take a leap of faith and say like i'm going to i'm going to you know give 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 in in these content methods and it's going to come back to me but they may be reporting to a team that's like well show like you know show, show these things so i don't want to set you up too much but i know like the question i would have for you is mm-hmm. like how on one hand do you Honor what I think like we as a company philosophically believe in, which is like to Rand's point, to Dave Gerhardt's point, like it's really not the main ROI of a podcast. Like, like there's a lot of other things that you're getting ahead of that before that. There's better ways to measure a podcast ROI. You're kind of measuring it the wrong way if all you're looking at is that. And yet you, on the other hand, have seen really tangible results and you don't want to like negate that. So how do you, how do you help a brand think through like, It's not your North star metric, but there are benefits from it. Like, so like not getting hung up on it too much, but on the other hand, you don't want to be like, oh, you'll never see anything from this. You know what I mean?
1: (laughs) Yes. So here's, here's the way to think about this. It's all about how you're measuring to your point. So if your measurement is based on inbound leads from podcast to a landing page that you've created for that podcast to capture the the actual lead volume that is attributable to that podcast and nothing else then this is going this is going to be set up for a tough road because what we what we say and what we believe is the podcast has all these ROI points that are inherently tough to measure but you can you can get indicators of it and you can Uh, run surveys. You can look at Google Trends volume for your brand name on the date that interviews go live and see if there's spikes in awareness and attention and searches and things like that. But if you're just focused on quantifying how many leads literally came in from podcast stuff, you can do and we can talk about exactly how to do that to the best of your ability but if that's the only thing you're tying the ROI on it's it's going to be challenging because podcast analytics podcast attribution is tough and but at the same time depending on how your business is set up depending on you know where marketing leads get handed off to sales reps and if and if you have to have a sales call with every single prospect you can actually if you set this up you can Get a lot of that data back. And we've had clients who do. So we've had clients, for example, uh, B2B, they have to get on a call with every single prospect and they do a really good job of asking every single prospect, Where did you hear about us? You know, where you came into us, inbound lead, where did you hear about us? And we, uh, from that, they were able to attribute millions of dollars, multi, multi millions of dollars worth of sales pipeline driven to them with these conversations and then track further of those how many closed and and what was the the number quantitatively of of customers and the the revenue impact and it was it was in in into the seven figures of closed revenue from attributable leads and that doesn't even count things that are not attributable right so that's just the attributable stuff and then the cool little kicker with that is and this was a, dir- a direct conversation with that particular customer was the typical sales cycle for them on this was uh, and this actually goes into the next thing which is shortened sales cycle so the typical sales cycle especially in b 2 B2B environment but for this particular client was four plus sales calls over multiple months and that turned into one 15 minute call for a lot of these sales mm-hmm. because the person had heard our client talking for multiple hours on podcasts and the trust was already built. The awareness of the problem was already built. The awareness that they could help solve the problem was already there and the trust was there. And so all they had to do was get on a call and buy it. You just like go through the buying process versus the, the entire process that happened via the podcast, usually happening in, in a series of, of sales calls and, and over a period of months. I would actually add here too, I mean,
0: and, and that's like an amazing example for B2B and there's, you know, probably a lot of, a lot of marketers at B2B firms that can benefit from that. And that's like, you know, the interview with Chris Walker on Refine Labs is a good one to dive into those points because he talks a lot about, about that as well. But like, I would also say for B2C, like we have heard, I know in your interview with where we talked with me, Edgar and, yep yep and we learned that they see the bulk of their signups it was like the you know podcasting was one of the top ways that they were able to get new signups, but it wasn't this advanced system in fact they tried to set up an advanced system to try and measure everything and what they found was just human behaviors like nope it's easier to go to the root domain go there and sign up and so it was really just unsolicited feedback or they would just ask a, a handful of people and it's kind of just this like cluster poll and you know people would say we heard you here. And I think there's a premise now that I've heard enough times, like, this is something I, I, you know, a thing I thought from marketing that I feel like has been verified by all the interviews I listened to you do, you know, with these CMOs and stuff is really like, even for B2C, if you were to pull anything, it's like, you'd have a heart, like you wouldn't get exact measurements, even for your Facebook ads, even for whatever, like, in other words, yes, you can measure even, even things that are meant to be measured, like with pixels and stuff, like you can measure to a T, right? How many like, but really even your Facebook ads and stuff aren't fully catching all the value because like what may have happened is somebody just scrolled past it. It got recorded as an impression, but maybe they saw your ad three or four times and they just eventually went to your website and looked you up. Like, in other words, even I would say paid advertising on- online is really one of the most measurable things you're ever going to find in the marketing world, literally to the point where you can like track who converted. But even then, you're really only capturing who's deciding to do it in the moment. You're still not getting, you're still not capturing just sort of the serendipitous like, brand benefits you know of like me Mm -hmm. if it's like huckberry right and they're and they're like retargeting me because i visited their their e-commerce site it could be that like i don't ever click on one of their ads because i know it's an ad but i but seeing their ad three times which all Mm -hmm. they see is an impression to one unique user maybe on the third time seeing it i'm like oh yeah like actually i've been you know i've needed to buy a pair of boots or something and i and i go over and buy it so i think that with this, even for B2C, because I I can imagine a lot of B2C people listening to be like, well, you know, I'm not going to call, you know, it's not not directly applicable. And it's like, well, no, it still is because if you find that it's worthwhile to, probably a better way to say it is, they're still beginning their journey about you somewhere. They're still learning about you through a recommendation from a friend or hearing you on a podcast or listening to your own show or seeing a YouTube video or maybe watching an ad it's still, they have to hear about you somewhere and then they have to hear about you a certain number of times before they come over and check you out and trust you and learn what pains you solve and all these things. And so any method of marketing plays into that. And so even for B2C, I just think there's ways to, you know, I think that there are ways to measure that. I know one of the people in our industry talks about unsolicited shares or unsolicited mentions. If you can scrape the web and find how many people unsolicited talked about your show or talked about your brand. So just to add that perspective in too, because I think even for B2C, I think it's amazing how if we as marketers would analyze our own behavior, we'd give a lot more credence to these brand marketing plays like podcasting, because we'll hear about something you know on a podcast and then we'll go direct to the website and check it out and all these things. And then when we go to launch them, we're like, oh, well, like, there's no way to measure it. It probably won't work. Or like they came direct. That wasn't from the podcast. But then we don't behave that way as humans. So not to get off on a tangent, but I just think that's important yeah,
1: to add as well. Totally. All, all good points. And and the last thing I'll say on this for the B2C context is I think one, of, and we've heard this, this wasn't B2C, but like Rand Fishkin of SparkToro on, on a few a few episodes ago, we did an interview with him. He mentioned this. And then Meet Edgar, Laura Roder also said this as well. I think if you can't get on a call with someone to to ask them flat out on the call, where did you hear about us? One of the next best things to do is whenever that purchase happens, try and you have a drop down of where did you hear about us? You don't even have to get too fancy. Like if you've been doing a, a podcast tour and you're getting interviewed on dozens of shows or you have multiple podcasts or whatever. You don't even have to get fancy. Just put the word podcast as an option on where did you hear about us to give you an idea if the strategy as a whole is working. I think a lot of people and a lot of teams would be surprised by how many folks will put that as the answer. Like Rand, for example, said he had 175 customers for SparkToro, I believe, and said that a huge, I don't remember the exact number, but a hu- he did a survey. So the third thing you could do is, is an actual survey after the purchase and do like a dedicated survey of a subset of your customers and, and find out where they heard about you. He said a huge number. He did that survey. A huge number said that they heard about Spark Toro from a podcast. Same with Laura Roder. same with a lot of teams we've, we've talked to. So the, the feedback can be collected. Like the, the answer is there, but the tough part is actually collecting that feedback mm-hmm. sometimes. And so these are all things that we hope are helpful in thinking through like, how to actually get that that data from folks yeah that this is working
0: and it just occurred to me in your interview with laura i do remember that she had a good point which was asking a broad question like that also helps get at like it's not so much for her in her mind it wasn't so much about exactly knowing like what was the last touch point of five like her point was like well we run ads we run a blog we have you know, podcasting as a method, we, you know, so you're running three to five methods and she wasn't so much concerned with like, what was the last touch point, you know, the kicker. She was like, I know you need to hear about us multiple times and what we do, so what to your memory? Like if I had to ask you what was the most convincing thing or like what was the way that you like we made an impression on your mind she said podcasting so she's like actually if we looked at the data we'd probably see that the facebook ads were the kicker the whatever were the kicker that closed it but when you ask people the memorable thing that sticks out to your earlier point is like well i heard 30 minutes on you know (laughs) i listened
1: to you for 30 minutes that's the one that sticks that you know sticks in their mind so that's a great clarifier and the last piece on top of that is the brand that I actually was talking about earlier that we drove millions of dollars worth of pipeline and, and revenue for that was attributable. They told me that a lot of times the, the the customer on the sales call, the potential customer did not even remember what specific interview they heard their team on. It wasn't. And, and what that highlighted was like, it's not about one interview or one episode or one, whatever. It's just about you know, they actually ended up listening to multiple interviews and multiple episodes. It's just the collection of the strategy. Yeah. So yeah, we can we can move on to the next one here.
0: Yeah. So you had made a note of a couple of those you're talking about. One of them is, and this is this is probably like the most specific, practical, tactical, you know, thing is mm-hmm. just as a happy circumstance of specifically going on a podcast tour is backlinks.
1: Yeah. So this is something that is quite under the radar as one of the best ways to build backlinks to your site. This is like something that isn't the first thing you would think about when you when you think about getting the interview on a podcast, talk talking via and that the content is distributed via audio to you know tens, hundreds of thousands of people or whatever. But then what happens is that a lot of times those hosts take that episode, create a show notes page on their website, with background and information about you, about the episode. And then they will oftentimes link, give you a backlink to whatever you want, you know, whether it's your your homepage, a specific landing page, you know, what have you. And Huckabye was a guest of ours on Brands That Podcast a few episodes ago as well. They're an SEO software company. And Jeff Atkinson is the CEO. And, and what he said was, they started doing a podcast tour a year ago they actually did it with the intent of building backlinks. He saw all these other benefits that we're talking about, mm-hmm. but the backlink strategy played out significantly. They went from a domain authority of under 10 to a domain authority of about 45 plus over the course of a year. And what that means is their their Google search organic traffic went from you know what he said was effectively zero to about 30,000 unique visitors per month. Because over the course of a year, he did more than 50 podcast interviews. And a lot of those shows and websites have very good high ranking, high domain authority websites.
0: Yeah, the way and what I would add here is so like, obviously, for the listeners who won't know this, I got my start in marketing in SEO specifically. So that was my that was the only channel I focused on for a while and where I spent a lot of my time. And the way I would say like looking at this is if you don't really have an organic search strategy if you've you know if you're not leaning on organic search as a channel this is just a very happy like a very happy like side effect of going on podcast tours like it's probably not going to like be the ultimate thing that convinces your team or whatever but it's just it yields all kinds of good benefits and you know because and for those of you who, who are making an effort at organic search as a channel anyone on your seo team will be singing your praises if you're able to like help them i mean building building high quality links on pages where your audience is hanging out and likely to click that are related to what you do is extremely difficult and you know the ability to to have this happen sort of like while you're getting all these other benefits is just amazing so i mean from like a really like a very, very utilitarian. I never like to think about podcasting this way because I primarily think of podcasting as a brand marketing play to build awareness and trust. But when but like just looking at the specifics of this like happy circumstance, if you were to go to a really, really high quality, reputable white hat agency, like they charge thousands and thousands of dollars for, you know, a handful or a dozen links like this, you know, like the, that you're able to get because they're so hard to source. So it's really, if you have an organic team, this is like, you'll you will get a massive backup from them if you go to them. <laughs> and if you're not right, if you're not worried about organic search as a channel, it's just a side benefit. Like if you ever want to start and, you know, it's going to provide benefits down the road. And the last one that you had here as far as tactics, Eric, is relationship building. So talk about that. I mean, this is something, again, Rand Fishkin was talking about recently, as was Chris Walker in our last two interviews. So what do you mean by that when you say relationship building?
1: Yeah. So what I mean by that is oftentimes hosts that have created podcasts in whatever industry category vertical you're in, they themselves are interested in building up their own following and their own audience and their own listenership. And they're devoting a lot of energy and attention and effort to that. And so what that means is like, you're both in the same space. You both have built up potentially, you know, somewhat of an audience in that space. What other opportunities are there for you to collaborate outside of just the podcast, whether they interviewed on your show or you interviewed on on theirs? This oftentimes leads to, for for our clients, like a lot of things like webinars, affiliate relationships. So like they could help, you know, maybe they could sell your product to their audience, which is the perfect market for that. Um, and get a cut or vice versa, speaking opportunities, you know, virtual event, like previously in-person events, but now like virtual events and all sorts of things like that. We've gotten tons of examples like that. And actually this just happened to me. So like one of our prior podcast guests on Brands at Podcasts, I'm not going to name who, but invited me to do do a speaking, a a virtual speaking opportunity and event for his, marketing group which has thousands of members in it and that and the whole reason that that came up is because i the relationship was built from the podcast interview Hmm. and that just that just happened with me this past week and i didn't ask them they asked me yeah so that's just one example of like these sort of serendipitous connections that you can build through all this like it's really hard at the start of a campaign like this to be like okay we're gonna get you know other sort of media opportunities and other sort of cross promotion opportunities that will total, you know, X number that's, it's hard to do that. You can put a concerted effort towards it while you're doing it, but the serendipity of a lot of these things can actually oftentimes be on par with the actual impact of the strat the podcast strategy itself. And so we can talk a little bit about that, but first, like I wanted to cover when to not do any podcast strategies. So we can talk, you know, as we have already for 40 plus minutes on why we love podcasting as a channel and as a strategy. But like I wanted to be very clear that we are not biased to the point of thinking everybody should do a podcast strategy at every single life cycle of their company. And so a couple examples. Here's how we think about like when you shouldn't do a podcast strategy yet. And that would be if the bottom of your funnel so like opportunities come to your website or come to your brand and you're not able to close them or it's not optimized enough or or customers come in and then they leave because the product's not done yet. I mean, and there's there we don't want to get like too nuanced there because like obviously product development is like a whole beast in and of itself and like you need customers to come in to be able to stress test the product and get feedback and understand where to iterate and things like that but the but the point is like if your website's not good at converting people from visitor to customer you shouldn't do a podcast strategy yet if your sales team can't close new leads You shouldn't do a podcast strategy yet, you know, and qualified leads like people who have expressed intent and they are aware and not those that you chase down for six months and trying to convince them that they have a problem. If any PPC campaigns of like non-branded terms are not dialed in, you know, if you if you have ad spend budget and you're you're on AdWords and you're not generating positive results from that. You might want to dial that in a little bit before you get started with podcasting. And the same for for like, you know, social paid as well. You know, basically we think if you can't drive awareness of your of the problem your solution helps solve, and then convert those folks into customers, that is the best place to start first. And then once you've got the fundamentals down there, then move to this new style of demand generation that we're talking about here, which is various levels of podcast strategies that you can execute.
0: I'll add one more to that, which is if you don't know what your audience wants, like I would say, if you don't know how to educate or entertain your audience, you know, that was something Chris Walker brought up in, in your interview with him that if your show, if you're producing a show and it's not working and people aren't sharing it or talking about it or tuning in or whatever, it's likely not that, you know, you're sharing it with your customers. It's likely that you didn't put out something that they wanted. So that's the last thing I would add. Like before you just say, yep, like, like we're good on those things. Like let's do it. One of, as important as it is to have like your product dialed and all these other things, it's important to know your audience really well so that you can say, we, we've polled our audience. We've talked on the phone with our audience. We know what pains they have. We know what entertains them. We know what other shows they listen to. Like, it's really important to dive into that creative strategy part. Cool. So then wrapping yep. this up, you know, as we wrap up with sort of the old, so diving into a couple of philosophical things here. So just like we went into the tactical, different things you can point to, different happy benefits of running a show. And then like philosophically, why should people consider this? How how are you seeing like the land the landscape shift?
1: Yeah, so I'm gonna go through pretty quickly a couple factors that we believe make up like the old way that people bought or that they were sold to. And then like this new transition that we think is happening right now. So like fundamentally, I think we're seeing a shift in like how people are buying. And one of those things is like, and, and how companies are selling to those people is transactional, which is like what we've been talking about, the attributable metrics driven, like someone clicks or, or an impression, which leads to, you know, X, Y, Z, which le- and you can take it all the way through the funnel to close customer and track that everything. I think that that is the old way. And there's a few factors for that, which we can talk about. But like, I think that one thing is, you know, ad blockers, Privacy laws, all these other things. Like, I think it's going to start getting harder and harder to actually for those very same methodologies that have been used, like Facebook ads, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, all these things. I actually think it's going to get harder to track that stuff as time goes on, um, just by nature of like the platforms themselves and what information they can deliver to you. And I, I think that there's been so much mus- muscle memory of having those tools available that marketers have thought that because that level of information is available in some platforms and we use it for paid and things like that that every marketing distribution channel should have that same level agree yep they and, I, mean, and, I
0: agree that that's like been the philosophy like tools yep. got presented that every little metric could be measured on that specific channel and all of a sudden the the thinking was well then every channel should be measured this
1: intricately yep so the high level here is like the old way in our belief is like and and this isn't meant to be like so such like bold like don't think of these as like bold broad strokes like statements but like just general frameworks here like the old way transactional was more important and better than brand funny enough though like how marketing started brand was like everything you know you couldn't track anything like 30 years ago or whatever so then then like the next in the old way is like what I'm seeing a lot is like the focus on driving meetings and driving leads, like quantitative. How many leads did we get? How many meetings did we get this week? But not really carrying that forward, you know, in in focusing on like the most important thing, which is revenue, you know? So like the job, in our opinion, like doesn't stop when you've just driven a lead. But it's like, it, it, are they the right leads? Are they converting? Like, where did you get them from? Does your sales team have to chase them down for six months, right, to actually close them and convince them? Anyone can take hundred thousand dollars and get email addresses. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You could just go buy email addresses right now. You know, like really. So, and like part of that is what is being used to drive leads. So, like ebooks, obviously, been huge over the last like five to ten years. Really salesy webinars, content syndication, paid. Paid ads that are that are meant to drive like a purchase versus like drive awareness Mm -hmm. and attention or education and education and and all of those things. And then like SEO and and display ads and and things like that, like focusing on the one percent of people, the two percent of people, even the five percent of people who are like actively searching for the thing that you help solve versus having awareness with people who could like when they're ready because you've educated, entertained or informed them over the last 12 months when they're ready to buy they're coming straight to you but they're not ready yet they're not searching they're not going into Google and searching for for the solution because they don't have that problem yet but because of the role and because like they are your ideal customer like profile like the demographics, the role they're in, the company they're at like that is a good target but they may not be ready for you yet so the old way is like just focusing on those who are ready right now versus like building up a relationship with folks who will be ready in the future, hopefully and, and likely. And when they are, they come straight to you. And and all it is at that point is because you've built that trust, like I said before, it's just helping them buy. Like you don't have to convince them like you've already built the trust there. Yeah. So that's the old way. On the new way, what we believe is like this switch happening. So it in, in marketing, it, was, it first started all brand. Then it went super transactional. We think we're at the early stages of going back more like skewing towards brand being ultimately the, the most effective thing to drive demand, interest, revenue, not like leads. Yes, but the right leads, which, which leads to revenue and how we're, what we mean by brand is like what we've been saying the whole time is like things that are not measurable. Brand is not measurable, but it is inherently made to educate your customers your prospects entertain them not just sell to them like help them it's it's meant to help them yeah and two points here is like that i've been i've been studying and learning a lot is, is like with this notion brand is possibly more effective than tr- this transactional method performance marketing gets less effective as you scale it so number 1 it gets less effective as time goes on anyway because more brands are getting on these platforms, driving up the prices. Like LinkedIn ads are incredibly expensive, obviously. And also just I would say like too just because people get calloused. Like Yeah, exactly. Like exactly. they're just like I've they, seen this before. They they zone out like ads, you know, you can't even really tell the difference between an ad in, in the feed anyway. You just scroll right past it. Like so, anyway, it get it's getting less effective as time goes on in general for all those reasons, but it also gets less effective for you as you scale it because Depending on your market, like there's probably only so many people you can actually market to if you know your audience fairly well. So at some point you, you just sort of get to a point of diminishing returns with that. And then, And then secondly, like brand lowers your customer acquisition cost like in perpetuity. So with the transactional model, every new, every new person that that ads getting in front of, you have to start from ground zero with, basically but if you build up this asset this brand asset that you are attracting people to over time and they opt in to becoming customers with you over time versus you pushing to them they're they're pulling into you that's going to lower your overall budget your marketing spend in in general because you're you're focusing less on a one to one relationship being driven by marketing dollars to a, a singular asset that is pulling in unlimited amounts of people. There's no cap on it. as many people can, can listen to your podcast. So that's a couple of things there. The other thing is like with the metrics. So, so in the new way, like we think that metrics are very important. Like I don't want it to seem like we don't care about metrics. We care a lot about metrics, but only if you are looking at it from the right lens and the right perspective. So like what we said is if you're only looking at how many leads did this podcast generate, that might be tough. That might be tough to actually like show the full picture. And so if you're looking at it from the standpoint of number one, the depth of relationship comparison, um, but number two, like all the things we talked about. So like, have you actually, have you like done a search in Twitter and Facebook and Instagram for how many people mentioned your podcast or mentioned you on a podcast, but didn't tag you. This just happened to us the other week, like in a Facebook group, someone mentioned brands at podcast, but they didn't tag us. I just so happened to see it. And that's happening. Like, I think that's happening for a lot of brands all over the place. So if it's just, and then also how many listeners, like this is, this is the biggest KPI that a lot of teams, you know, think about is like, how many listeners can we get with the podcast, which is incredibly important and we care a ton about it but if that only kpi is how can we get this podcast to a hundred thousand listeners we think that's the wrong kpi it's the same thing as like how quickly can we drive a thousand leads well you can do that really quickly they're all going to be bad leads and none of them are going to convert into customers you could go buy a hundred thousand listeners to listen to your podcast but like you want the right people, so it's better to have a thousand listeners who are your actual buyers than a hundred thousand listeners who would never buy from you. Yeah, in a million years. So it's just the the analysis, the evaluation of the metrics, and and the lens that you have underneath that. One thing that we're really big on here with with this new way is like episodic content. So what I mentioned earlier is like having an asset that compounds over time with performance marketing and a lot of this old way stuff. You're starting from ground zero with every single potential customer interaction, but also a lot of the stuff that's being created, like a lot of these eBooks, nobody reads like they may, they may put, they may opt in because they're like curious, but then they, they get emailed a 50 page PDF report. I cannot tell you the last time I read, like I've, I've been interested enough to download one of those every now and then. Right. Never read it. I skim it. I, I do not read like hardly any of it. Yeah, And so our assertion is like, it's much better to have your potential buyers listening to you every single week because it's something they like than it is to have a way to like quantify how many people downloaded a book and how many email addresses you have. And now your sales team can go chase them down Yeah, and like create a lot of activity that has numbers on a piece of paper. But like, we believe it's better to have like episodic content so every single week every every other week that your potential customers actually want to listen to yeah then those other styles of content yeah i mean if and like i would just a
0: few quick things here like one to what you just said i i think i mean i mean this is probably not a super popular opinion but like i saw someone's posting on linkedin the other day asking about like taking a poll like for heads of marketing or cmos whatever like gated versus ungated content. And to me, it's such a silly concept because it's like, again, when you put yourself in the shoes as a customer, when you're a customer of your favorite things and you're like, I mean, you're basically taking it to to me, it's the equivalent of someone being like, you know, have you ever like done a search for something like a piece of information and you go to click on the article in Google that like, you're going to read about. And like, right away you get hit with like a, Hey, do you accept notifications or like an email pop up? And it's like, I don't even know you. Like, I don't know your brand. I don't know who you are. Like, I just got here. And all I'm trying to do is like, look for an answer in an article that you wrote. Like, I mean, I don't even know why people run those things anymore. They have to be at like 2% like, like conversion or like the people that opt in just must ignore emails or something like, it's just ridiculous. So this idea that like we behave one way as customers and then this idea that like, Hey, we don't know you. And like, you know, you don't know us. You don't trust us yet. But like give us this and then we're gonna hound you. You're right. It's all to measure these numbers versus just sort of, I know this isn't gonna be a popular term. Maybe there's a better way to say it, but taking the leap of faith of saying, like, let's just put our best stuff out. Let's just like whatever insights you were gonna give in that ebook, like turn it into a 15 audio's way faster anyway. Turn it into a 15 minute episode, put it out for free give a little like quick rundown about what your, about what your brand does. And then like, just tell people like at the top of your website, like click and then like, listen to, to this full breakdown and just like give freely, be known in their minds as the brand that gave you this authoritative, like breakdown right away. There's trust there. You didn't ask them for anything. You just gave right away. They now see you as the teacher in the industry and the expert in the industry from that. This idea that like with them first clicking on you, you'd ask them to like opt in or like do these things is just ridiculous. And then, you know, the second thing I would add is just, I remember, I mean, these are things that like world-class minds on this, right, that are speaking right now. Seth Godin, Gary Vaynerchuk, like Seth Godin said, I I read one of his pieces said, you know, look, it's great to be found on Google, like, but... Only one per, if you're not number one, you're statistically like getting clicked on goes down way, way lower the further down you are. And there can only be one number one. So rather than spending tens of thousands of dollars to be number one, why don't you just spend your money on being a brand that somebody types in? And his point was, you know, if, if somebody searches for what you do and you don't show up as number one through number three, you lose. And you just, that's a lot of investment, you know, down the drain. And you're very unlikely to get found that way but if they type in your company name you're very likely to get found that way and it's people that are trying to search you out so i think that's the general premise that we keep trying to say and what you know that's my way of summarizing what you just said which is ultimately Brand marketing is in large part meant to be unattributable to some degree. Can you see, you know, can you know how many cars drive down the freeway past the billboard? Yeah. Can you see how many views of a video it got? Yeah. Do you know how many people viewed the Super Bowl halftime ad? Yeah, roughly. But like, you know, with brand, you don't know how many people were fully paying attention. You're not going to track every person that went over and clicked the best brands in the world, Nike, you know, all these big companies, Apple, whatever they built on brand, right? Like Apple doesn't retarget you with cookie, like Apple's Apple, you're going to come back to them because of the attributes you, you come to them or you buy from Nike because you believe in these things that you think that they're about, you know, as Seth Godin says, a brand is a peg on which you hang attributes. And the purpose of a podcast in my mind is it's the one of the best channels available to you today to build your brand meaning to help your audience hang attributes about your company on you so that eventually if you want it's like if you ever want to be a company that people type the name into google versus like you having to pay to get in front of them on other channels and like pay for someone else's audience then you need to start brand marketing and that's just going to take time like there's no quick way to to get that done and there's not many better methods available to you than podcasting, and so it's really like that's where I said at the beginning of the episode philosophically. Like, are all these other things really amazing benefits? Yes, and if that's what it takes to like close your team on them on the immediate, yeah. But hopefully, we're hopeful that you you can help your team see the value of brand marketing as a whole because that's it at the end of the day. Like, if you want to be a company that people search out by name, that's brand marketing. It's not as measurable. It takes entertaining, educating, informing people. You've got to build trust. And these are amazing channels to do it for you. And there's never been a better time to do it. But, and this is how companies in the past did it. And we think it's like what Eric said, like it's swinging back that way. But you know, it doesn't take time. And so if you're coming from this like middle 2000s era where you're like, well, I'm going to hold it to all these numbers. You're going to largely feel disappointed in it. But the companies that invest in it, are going to be the ones that win over the next decade. And I think Chris Walker said this, like, I think you will see companies rise to the top because of what they did with content. And then the ones that don't, that are you know getting outbid, outspent on these platforms and only relying on paid methods are going to eventually go away. And it'll be the ones that people trust that they, that they lean into. So
1: that's kind of like my last ditch effort <laughs> to anyone listening to pitch your team on the value of brand. I got two. That was awesome. I got two final things. So on your point of gated or ungated, where I think like that is exactly the right dichotomy of old way versus new way. So what we think the new way is, it's better for the people to actually be able to just consume your content than it is to even have their email address.
0: 100%.
1: That's kind of like, you know, probably a, a very somewhat contrarian point of view, but like,
0: well, we should clarify it unless they gave you their email address willingly after consuming your content for free.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. So that's one. Then the last thing here, the last thing on the new way that, and then we can wrap it up is, which we haven't even discussed yet. So we're saving. It. If you're listening this long into the episode, you're going to get, you're going to get the the magic pill finally here at the end. So the podcast is what well, we think content is is right now is a way to pick a primary channel and then have that content be repurposed on every single other channel that you have so you you're taking one effort and you're you're diversifying that you're you're getting derivative content basically from that for every single channel that you have so we do this we take brands at podcasts and then we turn it into twitter threads long-form linkedin posts we get videos made from it. We haven't put it on YouTube yet, but we're going to. And so if you if your if your brand is one that wants to create content, we think that a podcast or a video show that can also be a podcast is one of the best ways to do it because you take that, you chop it up and get 50 pieces of content out of every single episode. So you're, you know, you put one of your best thought leaders on it, your subject matter experts or the CEO or anybody on the team who's got a lot of expertise to share. And have them spend 30 minutes a week on it. And you, you've you now just seeded your entire week, month, you know, whatever of content for your blog, for social, for newsletters, for, you know, white papers, e- everything, everything can be created from that. So that's the last thing I'll say versus starting from scratch. So you open up a Google doc, write an article, yeah. open up Twitter. What am I going to tweet today? you know, all that sort of stuff. That
0: could, And that could really go back. Like we probably could have included that under the tactical parts too, you know? Yep. If you want to hear more on that, I will refer, tell people, go listen to the interview with How Privy Podcasts. CMO Dave Gerhart uh, shares on there. And this that is the primary, what Eric just said is the thing he views as the number one ROI of podcasting is that it serves as a pillar that he can very quickly press record, churn out a bunch of content, and then have his team turn that into 50 other pieces of of content and it drives their content strategy versus being a standalone channel. So go listen to that if you uh, if you want more on that. All right, so that's it for this episode. We went a little bit longer than I than than we probably both thought that we would, but I think it's good. So you know you've got these hopefully we've given you some very specific tangible, immediate things that you can sort of start to look for the value of podcasting. And some of these are going to be more peripheral or side benefits. And then you're armed also with the philosophical and really we'll probably do, we, we might do another deep dive on brand marketing and the power of it down the road. So if you have any other topics that you want us to talk about, any other things we can cover to help you, please do let us know. And yeah, we'll see you next week.